Hello, and welcome to the Grand Canyon TV podcast. This is your host, Crocky Meshkin. I've got a great recording for you guys. This is a conversation I had with my friend Ricky. We were talking about the Kolb brothers, and I'm just excited to be getting a new episode up. It's been a long time. I've spent pretty much the entire year off the grid, no Wi-Fi, but what that means is there's going to be some great new videos coming to the YouTube channel, and I'm going to be able to get back to podcasting. If you guys enjoy these podcasts, please uh, give them a rating on the podcasting app, and be sure to tell your friends about the Grand Canyon TV podcast. Uh, I hope this can be a great educational tool for people looking to learn about the Grand Canyon, people that are beginning a job as any kind of a guide at Grand Canyon, or if you know somebody who enjoys Northern Arizona and drives a lot and uh, likes to listen to podcasts, share this with them. With that said, let's get right into it. This is my conversation with Ricky about the brothers Kolb. People want to talk about railroad men and they want to talk about politicians and thinkers and all that sort of stuff. And those are the ones that built America. But no, 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 no. It was the businessmen. Entrepreneurs. Entrepreneur. And that's why we're here to talk about the Kolb brothers for Entrepreneur Week on this podcast. Each day, a new entrepreneur podcast. Uh, talk about self-starting, self-sufficiency, really the things that go into making a business. And then, you know, on Friday, we'll talk about what makes a business successful and why influencing may be the way to do that in the 21st century. Yeah. You really want to brand. Brand identification. It's exactly. Really important. You know, like you, you want to have a business card. You don't want to have a photo on it. You want to have like a caricature. You want to have the impression of an idea, the impression of what you think the person you're handing the business card wants to think that you're about. You don't want to give them any concrete details. You don't want to give them a green light. You don't want to give them a red light. You want to give everyone a yellow light always. Does that mean slow down to a stop or does that mean speed up for a go? It's up to you to decide. And uh, really, that's what business is all about. Going forward into the 21st century fully, maybe into the 22nd century, we don't really know. A lot of people show up to Grand Canyon and they lose their hats. Yes. And like, what if they, what if they had like a rope? Like you don't want to, ha- not everybody wants that cinched it's rope. Dorky. Neck, but what if it's was, dorky. It's like a necklace rope. It's like a secret rope that's tucked in the shirt mm. until the wind blows. Yes. And then it catches the hat. Yeah, what if you had a thing that ran down from the back of your hat into a thing that went down the back of your shirt and it just kind of like hooked around your waist or your hips Mm -hmm. and it sort of like hitched your hat to your body. But it didn't get in the way of you being able to freely move or take the hat off. It could like extend, like, you know, those extension cords for phone chargers 
and on vacuum cleaners where you just push the button and the the, the plug just zip. comes right back. Yeah. Imagine that, but for a hat, treating your spinal cord as the train track. I like it. I like it. We should have a, yeah, let's have a line of like specific products for Grand yes. Canyon. Well, that's what our uh, influencer guest is going to talk to us about a little bit more, how we can market that, how we can make that uh, a true reality. Um, you know, hopefully have it in production using some stuff off of fiber by oh, late August. Yeah. Ten years earlier. The most futuristic city in America. Ooh. Oh, that's tough. Start with the world, maybe. Most futuristic city in the world. In the world? Yeah. Oh man. My brain leans like probably somewhere somewhere like Singapore. Not Dubai. Not Dubai. Not Tokyo. Dubai to me feels like like it's a paper tiger. Like it's all show. Mm. Like there's nothing behind it. Like it makes me think of like a Christmas display that's all all bright lights and shiny and fancy and then looks really good from one angle, but you get around the corner and it's just a bunch of, you know, things held up by like broomsticks and it's gonna just gonna collapse. I don't know if that's a thing that Christmas decorations are only good from one angle, but yeah, well, it's it's water in the desert, maybe as a way to summarize it. It's yeah. water in the desert, and it's there is something about that. Yeah, yeah. I don't trust it long term. Like um, a city, you know, cities were mostly based around rivers. Yeah. Like, you know, some of the greatest cities. And then it was risky to base a city on a coastline. Like Venice in Italy is like this city that everybody knew. Kind of like New Orleans. They're like, eh, I yeah. don't know. I mean, some of like the Netherlands too. Because even New York City feels like it's a coastal city, but it's not. It's two rivers pouring out to the Atlantic. Yeah. But it still is a river city. And it's still going to face a lot of challenges with uh, sea level rising. Like they're going to probably have to build a barrier wall or some sort of controlled flooding mechanism yeah. for New York City. Because it is below sea level. Or at least wow. lower Manhattan is. Because it's all landfill. Yep. What do you think is the most futuristic city? In America or the world? I picked the world. I went with like China, like Singapore. Somewhere over there. Yeah, maybe even um, like Seoul, South Korea. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get a feeling. I haven't been there, but I get a feeling like... Just through pictures. Like it looks... Film, their music. Yeah. You know, everything just feels like, yeah. I also, I feel like Japan, you know, there's a lot of stuff they talk about with Japan and it almost feels like they're ahead of us, like culturally, like they've already gone through peak civilization to the point where like, they're probably on a decline. Their yeah. population is kind of going down. People are having less kids. And I can see that eventually happening in America that we're, you know, 2020 might've been that peak. Yeah. And it's like, okay, from here, people are really starting to be a little more cautious with, they're spending with how many kids am I going to have where like, yeah, maybe, maybe I got to simplify life a little bit. Well, yeah. Yeah. I think there is like a socioeconomic element to that too, with um, the inability of like anyone to really exist in a middle class at this point in America, it being tougher and tougher. Um, people our age and younger struggling to be able to buy a home that definitely dampens the idea of, Wanting to start a family, wanting to have multiple kids. 
um, speaking makes of, that tougher. Speaking of uh, multiple kids and buying a home, yeah, uh, I'm gonna, I wanna, I wanna teach you uh, about um, some guys. Yeah, I'm gonna teach you about these guys, Grand Canyon guys. And, oh, uh, yeah, a story that I have truly told more than a thousand times really as a tour guide but the thing with being a tour guide is you learn the info you go out you give your tours you sometimes hear other tour guides giving their tours and there's a lot of stories that just kind of like start to generate on their own right the whole idea of myth and these things brewing um so i just um listener I just need you to know this is uh, this is Crocky here, and uh, you guys can trust that uh, I'm pretty OCD with my numbers and dates. Mm. And so tonight, I'm gonna hammer in the truth about the Kolb brothers. Let's take the story of the Kolb brothers from the beginning. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. So um, that does. Uh, it does involve uh, some uh, <laughs> some sensual uh, details. Oh, okay. so they were conceived in uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, we have Ellsworth L. Kolb, born in 1876. And we have his brother, Emery C. Kolb, Ooh. born five years later, 1881. What, the, what town in Pennsylvania? Um, I, You know what? I... I um, I'm not going to speculate. I know that they moved from Pittsburgh to the Grand Canyon. Let's um, just say Hershey, Pennsylvania. That's a way off. <laughs> uh, Pennsylvania, where I come from, uh, it's uh, it's you know, Hershey and Pittsburgh. They're very different. Very different. Very. Hershey is cows. That's why they make the chocolate there because there were tons of cows, milk cows. And they said, "I want to start a chocolate factory." Well, I better do it in a place where. You got a bunch of milk cows. Bunch of cows and a bunch of vegetable oil. Pittsburgh is all about steel. Right. Yes. So uh, George Washington Gale Ferris, inventor of the Ferris wheel, he's from Pittsburgh. Oh. You know, because he knew how to work with steel. He knew how to work with his hands. This is a rags to riches story, the Cole brothers. Really? It's a rags to riches story that takes place at the turn of the century, 1800s to 1900s. Very interesting guys. You could say these guys are responsible for the popularity of the Grand Canyon, you know, because we have we have so many ways to take in information. We got books, we yeah. got photographs, we got film, we got um, lectures, we got those TV screens in the gas stations. Yeah, yeah. You stop to pump your gas. As soon as you start pumping. Boom. Information hitting you in the right face. Just coming right at you. Let you know what went viral this week. Who's dating who. All the important stuff. Very good that uh, we have that. I'm, and, I'm, uh, I'm very grateful. That. And like what flavors of Monster are two for three if you go inside yes. and buy right now. Deals. Yes. And deals are an important part of what makes the Cole Brothers become the Cole Brothers. Rags to riches entrepreneurs yes so these guys it's business week here that's, that's right <laughs> it's business week here at uh, grand canyon tv guys um, <laughs> all right so 
we got the Cole brothers. They are seeking adventure. So you got the older one, Ellsworth, mm-hmm. right? He's on his own. And he's like, um, you know, he's reaching his mid-20s. You know, when you're in your mid-20s, you're like, I got to do something. That's the pivot point in your life. That's when you're like, do I live my life for the numbers, for the security? Or do I live my life for the adventure and for the stories? And thankfully, for our benefit, Ellsworth chose the latter. Ellsworth starts traveling around the country. Mm-hmm. He leaves Pittsburgh in 1896. He leaves Pittsburgh. Nice. And he's traveling around. He's into rivers. So like boating on rivers and this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Well, now, I mean, that was the big thing at the time was, uh, yeah. You didn't have cars. Yeah. There weren't, it wasn't an option. No. I mean, I'm sure there were like, you know, crude cars or uh, like, you know, probably like some initial like pre-Model A, some electric experimental Electric cars. Yeah. Which I mean, yeah. Like uh, probably like the Subaru or Saturn Motor Company out there trotting out their first initial uh, EVs and and getting them ready. You know, getting them going for for 150 years later. We're gonna give a good balance. To um, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it back around to uh, my numbers and figures and my facts. And Ricky's gonna keep it fun for us. Um, but the, you know this, right? Electric cars came first. Yeah, they had yeah. steam powered cars. They had electric cars. Yes, yes steam powered electric. Yeah. Then it was like gasoline. It's all like get the gasoline because you could do. I think it had something to do with pickup, right? Like you could accelerate quicker mm. with like it was a quicker snap in acceleration. Mm. With a combustion engine. You didn't have to get out front and do the crank thing. I'm going to crank my car. (sighs) Yeah. I mean, I know I have to do that constantly with my my Prius. You got to get out and manually pump the brakes on two hands like I'm a Fred Flintstone car driver. The Colbs. The Colbs, though. Ellsworth shows up to Williams, Arizona in 1901. Which is where you want to go when you're wanting to adventure around the country and you're a young man wanting to sow your oats. Like, first mark on that map is Williams, Arizona. Williams, Arizona made national news in 1901. 1901, the first time ever a train arrives to the edge of the Grand Canyon. And to this day, there was only ever been one train, one railroad, one line mm-hmm. that goes to the entirety of the Grand Canyon. There's no North Rim train. There's, you know, just this one coming up to the South Rim. This reaches the South Rim in September, September 17th, 1901. Mm. The first train arrives at the South Rim of the Grand Canyon. Now, is that due to like an exclusivity thing or is it like, why have there never been any other train lines built? Like say from Vegas to the North Rim or Henderson or something. I think it's um, like inaccessibility or is it just like now there's too much private land in place or. There's private land or they're they're public land. Or public land, excuse me. Um, But yeah, there's that whole thing, you know, preserving the land. But before so, I think it was just the. You, you were already establishing like a, um, you know, a transcontinental railroad line that went north of the Grand Canyon. Oh. And the Grand Canyon was always this big roadblock, like as far as all the different types of trails, cattle herding trails yeah. to trading routes and all kinds of stuff. So everybody avoided Grand Canyon. But what's happening in this time is the rags to riches, the entrepreneurialism 
the whole concept of like, I want to make some money. So people are going to Grand Canyon to mine throughout the late 1800s. It's got to be after Powell starts mapping in 1869. Yeah. So basically from 1870 until this train, 1901, in those 31 years, all these miners are moving in. And what are they mining for? They were mostly finding copper. They were finding asbestos. Huh. In this time period, theater is very big. And they would actually use asbestos to stuff in theater curtains uh, because it would, it would um, soundproof. It oh, would, it would no insulate. Way. And it was also fireproof. So, if, you know, you oh, avoid wow. having a big fire in a theater. That's crazy. So, yeah, asbestos is being mined. Copper is being mined. You know, later down the road, it's not until, like, World War II that they start finding uranium was mined out of Grand Canyon. Now, are there, like, open scar marks you can see anywhere in the Grand Canyon from any of these mining operations? Or You can still see mines, yeah. And some of them actually have bars over them. Uh, because they don't want people to enter. They're afraid it could cave in on the people. Also, like bats have moved in. Yeah. We all know about something called COVID-19. Uh, so came the, from a copper mine. There's no a lot of talk about it. A lot of reason they don't want you going in these mines. But you know the real reason is uh well, I don't want the men in black to show up. Um so anyway, Ellsworth uh he shows up uh, to the canyon in 1901, right? It would have been national news. Train arrives at the edge of the Grand Canyon. So he going on all these adventures after he left, left Pittsburgh, he shows up. He's there. He's going to live at the Grand Canyon. He says, "This is adventure. This is fun. What's he going to do? He's chopping wood for a living. Chopping wood for the hotels because as all these miners heard about a train was going to arrive to Grand Canyon, the miners said, hmm, maybe I'll invest and build a hotel or a campground. So when all these people start coming, they got a place to stay. It's yeah. starting to shift to tourism. Yeah. So yeah, he's, he's in the, you know, the midst of all this. He um, is chopping wood for the Bright Angel Hotel. His manager is a guy by the name of Buglin. And there is a picnic area uh, called the Buglin Picnic Area. Now, is the Bright Angel Hotel still there? The Bright Angel Hotel converted into the Bright Angel Lodge. And then there's also a prospector named Ralph Cameron. And Ralph Cameron, um, he had a place called the Cameron Hotel. And Ralph Cameron also had mining claims along the Bright Angel Trail, which is now the most popular trail in the Grand Canyon. It would have been a Native American route. They then were using it for mining. And then eventually they came in and blasted with dynamite to make it big enough that mules could go up and down it. But the old Native American route was like they were jamming logs in the slot canyons. They'd jam logs in there and then use those like a ladder. Like you can still see signs of that. Oh, that's awesome. If you look in the right spots. Yeah. So he's there, he's just chopping wood. He's, you know, found some adventure, having a good time at Grand Canyon. And his brother is hearing stories. He's writing letters back to the brother. And the brother is, um, you know, Ellsworth is 25 now. The brother is 21, hearing about the stories. So one year later, Emery is like, I got to get out there. Yeah. I got, you know, he says it's a lot of fun. I got to get out there. So at 22 years old, his brother, Emery moves to come join him. 
Now, Emery, he's just, he is he seeking adventure or is he just kind of like, hey, my brother's out there. There's nothing really for me here in Pittsburgh. Let's just. Let me put it this way. Emery comes out. He doesn't have any money. He shows up to Williams because that's the big hub. Yeah. Right. So if you travel by train from Pennsylvania, you got to go to Chicago. Then the train's going to bring you down. You'll come through, you know, Flagstaff. Shows up at Williams. He's waiting there, like, because I think probably it was like a one train a day to Grand Canyon. Yeah. Back from Williams. It's a dead end track. You yeah. Know? It's, it's, so he's like waiting there. Now he comes with like, he's the younger brother. So he's like, he brings a guitar. He's got a mouth harp. Uh, he brings a camera. He's into photography. Yeah. And so he's hanging out in Williams. You know, when you're like 22 years old and you move to a new city. Yeah. He finds a uh, Photoshop um, oh. and he, he walks in and he's chatting with the guy about cameras and whatnot. And the guy says, you know, I'm trying to sell this shop. I'm, I'm ready to, you know, be out of it. I'm getting old and trying to sell the shop. And he's like, oh, and, and he just leaves with that impression, hops on the train, heads up to the South Rim. Right away, he starts telling his brother about this. Yeah. He's like, hey. Some dude down there in Williams is trying to sell his Photoshop. Like, we could hop on that. And so now older brother who's been just like working these jobs for the hotels, like working as a porter, carrying people's luggage, uh, you know, doing these crap jobs, is hearing his young, excited brother like, hey. So they hop on the train the next day. By the next evening, they have bought this photo studio in Williams for $425. Whoa. So they hopped right on it. And they're like, you know, this sounds like a good idea. So now they're thinking, okay, the train's coming to Grand Canyon. There's people coming in. You know, he knows photography. They're starting to brainstorm. They're in that phase where, like, they're both broke. They're seeing all this action around them. People making money mining. People that are making money off the train. People making money on the hotels. They're trying to figure out what is going to be their thing. It's it's really going to come down to them trying to figure out how can they how can they operate at the edge of the Grand Canyon because they'd need a dark room and they you know they kind of need like a base camp and yeah it's tricky because right now they're in Williams which is you know even that train today is like a two hour train ride one way yikes now they were kind of fell into like a nice time in photography because you know. Photography basically started in like the 1820s. We then have the first photographs of like these historic figures like Edgar Allan Poe, Abraham Lincoln. There's photographs of the Civil War. You know, photography is getting more and more popular. And so these guys being born uh, 1870s, 1880s, they're born with photographies around. But, you know, it hasn't quite hit that... um, like consumer level right right it's not in everyone's hands yet like it's there it's more than a lark like it's here to stay yeah that's a like like that's a chance where you can like find your niche almost yeah like you just kind of anybody who can get their hands on one like there's room to figure out new things like everything hasn't quite been discovered yet on what to do with the camera and how to do it and I'm sure the cameras are getting smaller and smaller and like more portable. Yeah. You know, more uh, big thing is cost too. Right. Yeah. I mean, even today it costs money 
to buy a nice phone with a camera or a camera itself or, yeah. you know, the, even though we're not paying for film and we're not paying for like silver nitrate yeah. and all this stuff, harsh chemicals, um, to... you got to buy SD cards, you know, yeah. you gotta, you gotta pay for some things. You gotta find a place to store it all while you try to edit it. Like, so still an overhead. They're now turning. So like, I, I, I say they're a rags to riches story, but now it's kind of turning into a story of how is now they got a business going. So they're small biz. How are they going to go up against the pros in the area? And who are the pros at this point? Do we know? Um, well, we've got um, them trying to move into the South Rim. And the people that built the railroad is the Santa Fe Railroad Company. Yeah. The Santa Fe Railroad Company has their Harvey houses. So they set up these like Harvey houses created by Fred Harvey are these hotels. They're fancy. You know, people can travel by train across the country and then know that there's going to be a hotel. There's going to be meals. And, yep. you know, it's kind of becoming like, a, you know, monopolized the almost. corporate monopoly taken over. So they're trying to move in and take photographs on the South Rim. And at this point, it's not a national park. We're talking 1902. Both brothers are out there. The U.S. Forester won't let them open a studio at the canyon. Huh. So some people say that was because the Foresters were favoring Fred Harvey Company. Oh. And remember, the train comes up there yet, but there's not the the main Harvey house would be the El Tavar Hotel. So it's not built yet. Um, and then there's going to be the Hopi House is like the first major gift shop at the Grand Canyon. Is that still there? It's still there. Whoa. Um, so the brother's going to operate out of Williams for the next year. Then they've made friends with Ralph Cameron, this minor guy. Yeah. As, you know, Ellsworth, older brother, has been working for all these people. So they got a, they got a friend who has mining claims. Ralph Cameron lets them put up a tent on his mining claim at the head of the Bright Angel Trail. So they put up a tent. And we're talking, you know, we're not talking like some little camping tent. We're talking like a Civil War platform, <laughs> canvas, you know. Yeah. Like they could spend a winter in this kind of tent. So now we jump to 1903. And by the end of 1903, December 1903, they tear down this Photoshop they bought for $425. They tear it down. And they take the wood. I don't know if they sold the wood or if they gave it to Ralph Cameron. Uh, as a favor, you know, for him letting them yeah. put their tent up. Uh, but basically, they're moving out of Williams. They're trying to move everything up to the canyon. And they they gave him the wood from that. So you think of that, too, of just, like, going up to, like, the train people and being like, hey, can we throw a, a ton of lumber on the train? Uh, <laughs> can we throw a like, store in, like, like, yeah, in, in one of your train thing. cars? Like, you can't do that today. Yeah. You know, like, you you got to pay. I think that train today is, like, it's, like, around $100 a person, I think, Jeez. just to ride on it. But, yeah, just the idea of being, like, hey, and maybe they had to pay something. But but also just the idea of, like, we're going to reuse, like, this lumber was yeah. cut down. This lumber was shaped. We're going to reuse it. You Might know. As well. So they give it to Ralph Cameron. He builds a barn next to the Cameron Hotel. All these materials are still there. They got mixed over again to become the Bright Angel Lodge and Cabins. Oh. So if you're ever by the Bright Angel Lodge, headed towards Bright Angel Trail, you'll see all these little cabins. A lot of that wood is from 
these early structures no way like, repurposed into cabins that's cool i wonder so, if you can find specific pieces yeah you can still see the the cameron what was the cameron hotel is actually called um the red horse cabin and it is the most expensive room at the grand canyon south rim if you want to spend a night in the most expensive uh like hotel room you have your own cabin with a fireplace called the red horse cabin and think about the history and like just the feeling of being in that it's probably pretty incredible yeah i want to check that out sometime yeah we jumped to 1904 1904 the cole brothers start construction on their own cole studio so they start building a permanent cabin they've talked to ralph cameron they've kind of paid their dues they're like hey can we build a cabin here and it might have been part of the deal with him. Ralph Cameron was trying to charge people to use the Bright Angel Trail. He's charging people like a dollar. Like a toll? A toll. Yeah, because you could, um, in Arizona, it was the Arizona Territory. It wasn't Arizona State. Oh, yeah, that's right. And that's so 1912, right? If you, if you did work on a trail, you could register it as a toll road. And then people uh, would have to pay you to use it. That's kind of, wow. Yeah. A lot of people didn't like this. Yeah. They thought it was BS. That sort was of the, it. yeah. But um, he wanted to ensure people were paying the toll. So the Cole brothers might have been part of that, of be like kind of being gatekeepers. Like he's like, hey, yeah, you guys can build a cabin right on the edge, but I need you also to keep a head count and make sure people are paying. It might have been, I, I don't know for sure, but it might have been a little bit of a deal yeah. like that. What happens next is, you know, it's it's 1904, so um, they're age 28 and age 24, and they basically, now they've built a cabin right by the Bright Angel Trail, you've got all these tourists that come, and they hop on the mule, and they ride the mule into the canyon, and they would be riding the mules down, and they would stop, and out of their window, their house could take a photo of the people <laughs> posing with the mules lined up. They even did like a photo of Teddy Roosevelt came. They got a photo of him. Oh, wow. And what would happen next is the mules would continue down to Indian Garden, maybe go to Plateau Point. And in this time, the Cole brothers needed water to develop their photos. There's no springs or anything at the top of the canyon. So all the water is down in the canyon. And so they're going to take that photo. They're then going to go run down the trail, run ahead of the mules Go to Indian Garden, where they've set up a dark room. <laughs> and I think they started with the dark room in an old mining shaft. And then they like made it into a tent. But they had a dark room set up because they could access all the water they needed right there. Yeah. Develop the photos. Then run back up the trail um, to have everything ready. So when the riders got back you know, around sundown, yeah. they would be able to sell them the photo. <laughs> Just like at the theme park. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. These guys are running. <laughs> it, from their house to Indian Garden, from their house to the dark room is 4.5 miles one way. So they're running 4.5 miles, running 4.5 back up. Yeah. Nine miles a day. And that's a 3,000 foot climb. These guys were fit. Holy crap. Yeah. They're doing all this. 1904 they get to started in 1904 that's when they start construction on the el tavar hotel 
oh. the Hopi house. Fred Harvey, Santa Fe is moving in. They're moving in to take the business. The uh, big corporation. They see that it works, and they're going to come after it, Amazon style. This is the classic story of small business versus the large corporation. Who's yeah. got better lawyers? Yeah. You've seen You've Got Mail. Yes. It's the same story. <sighs> yeah. Probably it's, the it's, most, like, uh, it's the defining movie of like American business and entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. I like, think that, I think they study it, uh, in schools. They do. They do. At Wharton, there's a course you can take on You Got Mail. What do you think Ellsworth's screen name would have been on AOL? Uh, Ellsworth. Photo master, but like with no, no vowels. Like with a, with a zero instead of an O. Emery, though. Emery's a young one. Yeah. He's Emery the, would have been a little... He would have hot-dogged it a little bit. He's the young the one. Screening. He's excited. Also, what happens in 1904 is they go to... You know, they go back to Williams time to time because that's where you resupply or, yeah. you know, go to the town. He yeah. He's hanging out in Williams. Both of them are hanging out in Williams one day. And the train comes into town... Not the Grand Canyon train, but the, you know, coming through town train yeah. arrives. And Emery sees this beautiful woman step off the train. And he just sees her. And he says, I'm going to marry that woman. Oh. And sure enough, this woman's name is Blanche. And... You got to marry a Blanche. He ends up, within a year, they are married. Whew. 1905, they get married. Moving a little fast. How uh, old is he? Uh, 1905, he would have been 25 years old. By 1908, they have a daughter. They have a daughter named Edith. And she's going to be the first, like... Um, uh, Woman entrepreneur uh, <laughs> in the South Rim of the Grand Canyon. Pretty much. I mean, she's... she uh, uh, Edith... Some uh, it's, it's hard to say this because it's kind of a dark history with Grand Canyon and uh, Native Americans and, you know... Miners moving in, park service yeah. moving in, all this kind of stuff. Um, but as far as like the cowboys, pioneers, miners, Edith is this girl who's born in to this world yeah. where there aren't any other kids. There's no school at the Grand Canyon yet. There aren't pe there aren't families and couples that are having kids. Right. It's just rough cowboy types. So these guys, the Cole brothers are like these two, like um, just like creative types creative guys emery is like you know into music yeah and art and he meets this woman he's like oh i'm gonna marry her they have a daughter they're gonna raise this girl so they're gonna be the first of like the european americans to raise a daughter on the edge of the grand canyon she grows up in this whole crazy world the the big thing that starts to shift is they've been photographing the people in the mules. Yeah. But, but now they're saying, okay, we could probably make more money if we start doing like landscape photography. You know, let's photograph the canyon. Let's not just do the photos of the people and sell it to the people. Yeah. Let's photograph the canyon and make a book of the photos of the canyon. Like a true American entrepreneur, how fast can you remove the people from the process and generate maximum profit yeah so bezos style they're doing this and then um you know you've got uh blanche is running the gift shop 
So they're now starting to design their house as like they can sell things. They can live in the house. And then in the upstairs, that can be where the tourists just walk in to the gift shop. It's a live workspace. It's a cliff house. Yeah. I've been in this house. Oh, it's still there. Yeah. Cool. It's still on the edge. Um, Spoiler alert. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but it's called Kolb Studio. You can just Google when you're up there. If you guys are visiting, you want to check it out. Kolb Studio. And so, yeah, it's like it's like the houses in L.A., the Hollywood Hills, like that you're like, uh, is that thing going to... going to slide into the... <laughs> yeah, it's pretty freaky. Um, the park service has assessed it and done things to ensure that it's not going to fall in. <laughs> but it is the only house on the edge of the Grand... Like, literally on the edge of the Grand Canyon. The entirety of the Grand Canyon. There's no other house built on the edge. There, no way. Na- like Native Americans had like granaries. And stuff, but even the Native Americans built their like actual house like, you know, away from the edge. Yeah, they're not psychos like these guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, these guys get so obsessed with Grand Canyon. Now they're just in it. Yeah. You know, they've left Pennsylvania's far behind. Yeah. They're now, they're making money, right? They're not just these chumps chopping firewood anymore. No. They're running a business. They're going up against one of the biggest businesses in America at the time. They got the a Santa family. Fe Railroad. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're going up against them. While now the um, El Tavar is booming. El Tavar has their own photographers. If you look at most postcards, early postcards of Grand Canyon, flip them over, it'll say uh, Fred Harvey on the back. Oh. Uh, so, yeah. So, they're pushing their products and their gift shops. Well, these guys are doing their thing. Well, they decide... All right, we're making this good money. How do we step it up a notch? So what they do, 1911, is they uh, take their money and they buy a motion picture camera. They got a motion picture camera. So what are they going to do? Well, motion pictures, we don't even have our first feature-length film made in Hollywood, right? That's going to come in 1914. Charlie Chaplin is at first appearance 1914. These guys have a motion picture camera, 1911. And so what they're going to do is they're going to try to recreate John Wesley Powell's 1869 river trip and film it. <laughs> it's crazy, crazy endeavor. Oh, but wow. they, get, they get their boats prepared. They get these boats shipped up to Green River, Wyoming. And they're going to take their camera and their gear and they got food supplies and they're going to film. They can't film everything. They got to be selective. Right, because they can only take so much film with them. Yeah. So they gotta be selective. This footage is still alive. Oh wow. And they go down the river and they film this. And then Blanche and Edith are in the house and they have a telescope. And they know that the guys are supposed to arrive around Christmas time and they're gonna light a fire. They're gonna light a signal fire when they get to uh, the mouth of the Bright Angel Creek. Uh, down around where um, the Kaibab Bridge, the Black Bridge is. And so they're they're waiting. They're waiting in these days up top in the house <laughs> because when the guys arrive, then they're going to come up, spend the holidays, resupply, and then they're going to continue and go all the way to Needles, California. Oh, whoa. And just keep filming. Um, just see what happens. Yeah. So they get this incredible footage, you know, motion picture footage of the Grand Canyon. And... There's no YouTube. They can't upload this. They can't just share this. No. Even like movie theaters, Nickelodeons aren't that common yet. So what would happen 
is they would have this footage then and after 1911 so 1912 1913 they travel the country on tours oh they, they road show it yeah they go on a road show and they do lectures and they charge people yeah to come see their lectures and we're gonna you know we're gonna show you something you've never seen before people had never seen the bottom of the grand canyon before that's insane that's impressive too for just two brothers do they have a guide or anything or they just were like let's do this not on that boat trip but they studied they studied john wesley powell they'd been on the river um you know i think it was ellsworth was a lot you know a lot more into the river travel and that kind of yeah. stuff and emery was more the photographer okay um into the cameras into the tech so they do this in 1911 and their age is now 34 and 30 when they do this big big trip well now they're kind of like becoming like world you know famous like or, or at least around the country like yeah you know, they're getting some renown they're, they're showing up in the newspapers yeah. you know there's gonna be a lecture lectures were huge around the turn of the century yeah you know, that was what you went out to before movies kind of in between like going to you know music and dance and and that kind of stuff um you would just go to you know oh someone's lecturing yeah this is now going to lead up to they've you know made their film They've toured yeah. the country. They're getting famous. And Emery is married with a daughter. Ellsworth doesn't know where he wants to take his life. He, you know, he's not married. And uh, it's basically coming down to, like, what what are they going to do? Maybe one stays there at the Grand Canyon, but one goes because it's, you know, just kind of... I, I don't know their reasoning, but... Yeah, how much longer are they going to ride it out for... They they kind of now start to transition to um, traveling. They get into airplanes, uh, like airplanes are starting to come about. You know, automobiles are starting to come about. The world's changing. Yeah, and they flip a coin, and it's determined that Ellsworth is going to leave and go to California. Oh, this is the, I, I've heard this story many times. This is what I dug up today. It was because of some coin toss thing that. <laughs> They that's how they decided Ellsworth's gonna leave the house and now Emery will be the one that stays in the house with uh Blanche and Edith. Oh wow. So Ellsworth goes to California to seek I don't know if he's gonna go to California because of film, because they're known as filmmakers. Right, as essentially documentary filmmakers at this point. That could be another video. I'll yeah. dig I'll dig into more of those reasons. But you know, trying to give a rough outline of their yeah. story at the canyon. Now, something big happens in 1914. Yes. So I've got in front of us, kind of looking at two books tonight. We're looking at a book from the 90s about the Cole brothers. And the other uh, magazine I got here is National Geographic magazine from August 1914. And this one is a big feature of the Kolb brothers. It's a huge article. I think it's something like 60 or 80 pages oh, of just them and their photos. And they did all these really incredible write-ups. The stories they tell in this are amazing. So this comes out in August 1914. So they're famous from their film, Traveling Around the Country. Now they're in National Geographic magazine. These guys are huge. You know, and again, this is the same year they shoot 
and released the first feature-length film in Hollywood, the same year Charlie Chaplin is introduced to the world. These guys made films before Hollywood is Hollywood. Yeah. Somebody told me that Cecil B. DeMille would come and hang out at their house on the edge of the Grand Canyon. No way. I can't verify that, but a Grand Canyon historian told me that. I'll dig it. I'll dig more into that. Yeah, too. That, that'd be something to figure out. But basically, that whole concept of like, you know, the the Hollywood filmmakers are learning from these guys. Yeah, is crazy. And these guys, to your most common person, are unknown. Right. Most people don't know who the Cole brothers. Yeah, are. I didn't know who they were before tonight. But look at this stuff. They're filming, you know, cloud inversions, so they can set up the camera in the house now. It doesn't matter what the weather is. They can just photograph out their window. Jesus. They got snowstorms. They got lightning strikes. Now, now that they're famous because of Nat Geo, Fred Harvey Company is moving in hardcore. Oh. So Fred Harvey Company, Santa Fe Railroad, they set up a uh, place called the Lookout Studio. So the train arrives at the El Tavar Hotel. And... Uh, the the Hopi house is there. Yeah. And if the guests of the hotel start walking, they would eventually find the Kolb studio. And these guys now are going to charge people starting like 1915 to come see the silent film, the footage, right? Because it's all silent. Yeah. The footage they shot, but they will lecture over the footage. Oh, okay. So people will pay to come see that. They'll have their yeah. lecture and they would do two of these a day. And now they're making just residual money, like, off of something they did one time. Yeah. The Santa Fe company doesn't like this. <laughs> so 1914, they open a place called Lookout Studio. It's basically between El Tavar Hotel and the Kolb Studio. So that <laughs> people have heard about this photography studio. So they call it Lookout Studio. So people start walking and they see this. They're like, oh, this must be that famous studio on the edge of the grand canyon oh i I better i better go in there it's still around today too is it really and so yeah so it basically was all designed um to to yeah to pull people in there they said they even built like a mule corral that would block the pathway (laughs) they were just like messing with these guys now right before this came out i dug up letters i've done a a lot of crazy research on these guys because obviously I do a lot of photography video. Yeah. I'm inspired by him. But I dug up letters. These guys were writing letters to Ford Harvey, was the son of Fred Harvey. They wrote him letters like, hey, you know, can't we work this out? Um, like, we should be allowed to do photography here too. You know, yeah. and, and it was all these like weird battles because, you know, it National Park Service is created 1916. It, Grand Canyon becomes a National Park 1919. And it's all this like, kind of like power struggle between yeah. the, the private people, the corporations, and the government national park. Like Trying to come in eventually, yeah. Power struggle. And uh, so, yeah, they would write letters to the Harvey Company, and they're like, like hey, can't, you know, we want to operate our business. Like, can't we, like, be photographers? You guys are running a hotel. Can't we be photographers? And they basically wrote this one letter. They're like, hey, um, we're going to get uh, featured in this magazine, uh, National Geographic, uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we could put in a good word for your hotel or, you know, and they're like reaching out <laughs> and the, you know, Fred Harvey company would just snub them like every time. Whoa. Like, yeah. So there was a huge feud brewing the whole time. Whoa. Um, 
but now they got the lectures going. And so it becomes like, you know, this, this article comes out and it becomes like this almost like a beatnik thing of like, you know, hey, come see these guys. Yeah. Come listen to their these like, are the, talk. These are the independent. You yeah, know, they're that, the real Grand like, Canyon people. Like, you want to get a real taste of it, you go to the Colbs, not that tourist shit. The park was already talking about how, you know, whenever they could reclaim their house, they were going to demolish it. So we're talking, you know, jump ahead from 1914 to now the park service is around. Yeah. But they're talking about how, oh, we're, you know, as soon as you guys move out or, you know, you guys die, we're just going to demolish it. It's now a national park. But something, <laughs> but something comes along that really, like, saves this. Because there are other buildings, like the Grandview Hotel is something that's gone. With, you know, we don't have that anymore at the Grand Canyon. And that's, were... that's where William Randolph Hearst um, had bought that. Oh. And then he had a little spot there. All that stuff's gone. Um, Demolished by the Park Service or just that... left to the sands of time? It's a long story. It was pulled apart and pieces were used in the Desert View Watchtower. Oh. Um, but that's, that's a story for another night. The um, Cong- our, our Congress passed the Historic Sites Act in 1935. And so this Historic Site Act made it so that you would preserve sites, you know, in national parks and yeah. in government uh, public lands. They'd be preserved. Now, I, there was something tricky with it because it's like the structure had to be standing for at least 50 years to be considered a historic oh. site. They built their place in 1904. So it's not the 50 years yet. And I've heard the story told multiple ways, but what I'm finding is they built it in 1904. This act is signed by Congress in 1935. So their 50 years should be 1954. Yeah. But I've heard the story told many ways that like Emery was the guy who stuck around. Blanche died in like 1960. So he had like 16 years of just being alone. Um, living there, but still doing lectures. They said that eventually he recorded his lecture. Yeah. So like the footage would play and he, but he would still come down to greet the people because they (laughs) want to see him and he would come down and greet him. And he would say, um, he would say, look guys, uh, you know, just want to thank you for coming out. Uh, you know, you guys are going to see some footage of this trip we did in 1911. And, uh, there is going to be a recording, um, just because, um, I've, I've, um, I, I, uh, well, I'm kind of in ill health. And then he would run two steps at a time up the stairs and the whole room would just roar <laughs> with laughter because <laughs> the truth was he was just lazy. Yeah. He, he got tired of saying it every night and recording. Yeah. So they were, yeah, they, they were funny guys. They joke around like this. Now did um, Ellsworth come back? I think he was like back around and stuff. There's a whole other story I'll dig into. Ellsworth tried to join the military, but they told him he was too old. And he was like, what? I run up and down the Grand Canyon. (laughs) And so he went and then at like 30, like in his upper 30s, ran the New York Marathon. Yeah. (laughs) That rules. Just to prove that like he was still fit and still had it. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, these guys are just awesome. They uh, basically were the one, they got to name um, the biggest waterfall in the Grand Canyon, um, Sheava Falls. What is it called? 
Shayava. It's a Hopi word. It means intermittent water. But they had spotted it through this telescope they had in their house. And so then um, I think it was, I think it was Ellsworth. Because Ellsworth seemed like the more adventurous one. Emery seemed like the more photographer one. And the family man, right? Yeah. But I think Ellsworth went out to go investigate because people were saying, oh, there's frozen water. You can see frozen water over on the north side. And he started looking at it through the telescope. He's like, eh, it's too warm for that to be a bunch of frozen water. Yeah. And then, it, but you're looking 10, 15 miles away. Yeah, there's no way to like be 100% sure what you're seeing, especially back then. So he went by car around in the north room and then he went with somebody else and they like took ropes. There's like photos of him climbing like hand over hand, like over gorges on a rope. And like they, this thing is great. Like I wouldn't recommend anyone try to go. They, they basically tried to find the source of the waterfall. Whereas these days people hike to the bottom of the waterfall. Yeah. They tried to find source and he talks about it and he says that like, the water was like coming out of a cave and that is giant, huge cave that like he ducked into by rappelling on a rope and, no the, and he, he, it was black, you know, he couldn't see anything, but he just hear water gushing from this freaking cave. This waterfall is like, it's hundreds of feet tall. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a massive waterfall. I think it's 800 feet tall. The water, the waterfall is 800 feet tall. Yeah. I got to look it up. Double check. Yeah. 800 feet tall. That's, that's insane. Sheava Falls. Let's look this up. Sheava Now, Falls. is it intermittently 800 feet tall? Like, is it sometimes only 500 feet tall? Well, it's, um, the water, I mean, think of the water source staying the same. Um, 800 feet. 800 feet. Yeah, some say it's over 800 feet tall. Which, for reference, the Washington Monument, 555 feet tall. Empire State wow. Building is, what, 1,200? So it's more than half the Empire State Building. And, but it's intermittent because it only goes if there's been a heavy snowfall. So to go in the spring. Oh. So after he went and explored it, the um, United States Geological Survey is like, hey, we want you to name it. Uh, but we'd prefer if it's like a Indian term. Yeah. And so he named it Shiava Falls. Intermittent water. Yeah. Because it's a big waterfall after heavy snow. Yeah. And then it kind of fades. But you wow. can see it from 10 miles away with the naked eye. Like That's impressive. How did nobody spot that before? Just the right, looking in the right place, the right time. I guess when but, it's intermittent. Yeah. It's, I think there's a lot of that at Grand Canyon because it's so... It just, the view is so insane that like it takes you, like I felt like it took me weeks or months to start noticing these things I'd never seen before, you know, like especially being a tour guide. And then you really start looking like with the binoculars and seeing like, okay, there's a really green area. What's over there? There's got to be a creek there. What creek's over there, you know? Yeah. And yeah. But yeah, at first, your average tourist goes for a couple hours, and that's it for well, a lifetime. Yeah, and it's so overwhelming that it's it's hard to pick out any detail when you're just, you know, blasted in the face with beauty and just, like, this overwhelming size. 
One more thing I want to note about these guys. Yeah. They were they were the rebels, right? Maybe I'll put it that way too. Rags to riches, the you know, the independent yeah. company. Uh, they they were the rebels and they liked uh, messing around and uh, showing their worth, right? Yeah. Even though they didn't have the power and all the money of these big corporations or the park service or whatever, they wanted to show like we're out there, we're getting our hands dirty. We can do this stuff. And we can do it just as well and as the other guys. They honored John Wesley Powell by recreating his river trip. You know, they paid they paid homage to yeah. these guys that came before them. And I think they didn't like, you know, they didn't like seeing it be commercialized. And, you know, they liked it to have that Wild West feel. There are a couple sky islands in the Grand Canyon. One of the most famous ones is Wotan's Throne. You can see that pretty easy. There's another one called Shiva Temple. And a sky island is basically, you know, the Grand Canyon was all one flat piece of land that the river's cutting into. And as that happens, you know, we have the main canyon, but there end up being these like mesas mm. that are separated from the north rim that are still covered with pine trees. So there's still get snow there it's still a subalpine climate but it's now eroded in a way that it's an island separated from the north rim and there's some of these sky islands have ruins on them native american ruins oh wow. um and on the north rim like there's a species of squirrel only found on the north rim you know so you got these sky islands and the whole theory was like the that there could be isolated subspecies of animals oh. you know there could what if there's like a giant ground sloth that's still alive on one of these sky islands you know yeah some sort of like lost world yeah yeah because they're big shiva temple's huge and there's forest all on top of it but it's separated yeah and there's just a little saddle that gets you out there in 1937 there's like a big crew of like scientists explorers that are planning a trip to Shiva Temple, and they release this in the newspaper. And when the Cole brothers read this, they're like, they're reading about how this you know, research group is going to come, and they're going to be the first people ever on. Uh, <laughs> you know where this is going? Oh yes, they're going to be the first people ever on Shiva Temple, and they're going to bring a woman. They're going to bring a woman with them, and she's going to be the first woman ever on Shiva Temple. And Emery sees this, and he grabs his daughter Edith. And he's like, nah, <laughs> nah, we're going to be the first. And they plan a trip and they get in a car because they publish this in the newspaper of the date they're going to go and what they're going to explore. So they just hop in the car. They drive around the North Rim. They then hike along this saddle. They get out to Shiva Temple and they have a friend in an airplane because you couldn't land an airplane there. But yeah. A friend flies an airplane with a makeshift parachute and drops their lunch for them when they get out there. And so they have a lunch of like um, crackers, canned tomatoes. <laughs> They're hanging out, having a picnic. And they were the first, um, well, first, again, one of these, you know, first white people. Yeah. Native Americans. And yeah, I don't know if I said that with Shava Falls. Of course, Native Americans probably had seen this kind of stuff too, even though yeah. we could say the Cole brothers got to name it and got to kind of got to document it. Reintroduce it maybe, yeah. to the to the public. 
um, got to document it. But yeah, so they go on Shiva Temple, and then a couple weeks later, the research group comes in, and they're checking it out, and the reports are coming out, like, you know, of what they found. And, uh, you know, they're thinking, oh, we're going to find all this crazy stuff. Maybe there's fossils. Maybe there's dinosaur tracks. Yeah. Maybe there's this. Maybe there's that. And uh, they see uh, some empty cans, tomato cans. They see a napkin with a woman's lipstick on it. Because at this point, little Edith, Edith is now... Uh, 29 years old yeah you know so there's like a napkin they left a napkin with women's lipstick on it to like prove a woman had been there and they just left all this stuff sitting there so when the expedition would show up they'd be like uh, wait a minute what yeah who's picnicking over here brilliant yeah just brilliant just great sense of humor funny guys yeah. And Emery stayed there till his death? He did. Um, 1976. Oh, wow. And he's buried at the Grand Canyon Pioneer Cemetery. So he's buried there at the South Rim. Yeah. And then the studio became a... It became a historic site. So he he knew, I think he knew when he died that it was going to be saved it was going to stay preserved gave him peace of mind yeah wow it's um but yeah it's now mostly run by the grand canyon conservancy a great non-profit group that uh yeah it's kind of like used their the funding they get they're the big non-profit of grand canyon yeah so they've used funding to restore it to make sure you know it just stays preserved so if you want to go see an old studio at the Grand Canyon, you just bypass Lookout Studio and you go straight yes. to boycott Lookout Studio. <laughs> still today, is it over... still a Fred Harvey thing, or do we know what what became of Fred Harvey? We do, and, and we'll save that for another time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. I want I'm, to know about uh, Fred Harvey's. Downfall. I don't work for any of these companies. I'm not biased in any one way or not. Yeah. I love the history. And I put Fred Harvey's a joke. (laughs) (laughs) I I wanna honor that uh, history of like go to the coal studio. Go to the rebels, you know? Go to go to the people that were there for the adventure. And yeah, they tried to make a little bit of money off of it, but not in the same hand over fist corporate kind of way. In a more respectful, honoring the spirit of the Grand Canyon. Yeah. Yeah. Cheers. Well, cheers. Here's one to the Cole brothers. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I I wanted to tell this Cole brother story to a friend, you know, because it, it, that's the difficult thing about working as a guide. As a guide, you tell these stories over and over, and, and sometimes you have like a really great telling where the audience is engaged and they're enjoying it and they're asking a ton of questions. Yet these moments are never recorded. You know, all of those tours, they're, they're lost to time. So now that I'm no longer tour guiding and I'm focused more on the, the videos and the, the podcast, I'm happy to start to lay this down, uh, these different stories. And 
really what I've learned in already doing this is that Grand Canyon is a very complex place. I've reached out, you know, trying to uh, find great guests for this podcast, people that want to talk about environmental concerns to the Grand Canyon. I'm, I'm maybe perhaps trying to uh, play sort of an outsider, a mediator who, who's uh, trying to navigate the complexity of the history of Grand Canyon, uh, indigenous people being removed from certain parts of the Grand Canyon, to then the National Park Service, to stories like this of corporations trying to build on the edge of the Grand Canyon. Anyway, that is something I, I, I'm still trying to express, I guess, is um, where I'm going with this podcast. So I, I think it's going to be a mix of some heavier topics. Other times, it'll just be fun stories. And if you or anybody you know would make a great guest on the Grand Canyon TV podcast, be sure to get in touch with me. Uh, you can contact me through any of the social media at Grand Canyon TV. All right. Until next time, my friends. Grand Canyon TV.